trails of troubles, rows of battles, paths of victory, we shall walk. The road is dusty, the road is a mighty rough, better road is a wing, the day is not far off. Welcome to WEHC 90.7, and you're here today with us for our show called She Walks. And we are continuing our discussion with women and how important it is for them to find their space and their place and make a decision to walk to their freedom. Everybody's bondage is different, quote unquote, and it may be uh, real and tangible and hurtful, or it just may be a mental situation. But whatever it is, we want to promote women and to let women know that the sky is the limit where you can go, what you can do, and who you can be. And in doing that, we've been talking to women, we've been talking about women leadership. Carly Blaylock, my co-host, is here. And we've been talking about women and leadership, and we've got great things planned coming up. We've got a bunch of people, and she'll tell you a little bit more about them later on, uh, that are part of our Emory and Henry family, and they're going to come on with different leadership perspectives. We've already interviewed a couple of them, but uh, we're excited about what is to come. So welcome, welcome, welcome to us here today. We're going to start the conversation today. Actually, it's a continuation of the conversation we've been doing about women in leadership but I, Carly, I wanted to know if you were familiar with this term. I, I, I got it a long time ago in seminary and it has different names, but the name that I have came from Katie Cannon. Katie Cannon is a womanist theologian. She's uh, gone on to be an ancestor now, but one of the things that she was famous for was helping us to, to use this term. And I'm pretty sure she it's the neologism, the coining of it goes to her, is called horizontal sexism. And, you know, we talk about sexism and we usually talk about it from a vertical perspective with patriarchy and overarching uh, oppression of men over women and those kinds of things. But she says that it's important for us to be mindful of the fact that it doesn't all come from uh, men uh, doing that, that it actually can happen with women. And so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that from a leadership perspective, because I really do believe that um, some of our uh, challenges or problems, if you will, that women face in leadership and especially on our college campuses, you know, throughout the nation is really centered around women not necessarily supporting other women in leadership. And so, you know, not to to take her definition, but I think it's important for us to talk about how women respond to other women in leadership and how they feel and describe and talk about them. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, Carly. I know that's a long-winded way of saying, but I, I really feel that, you know, women do not always support other women in leadership roles. And the tradition is to expect leadership to be always top-down and always male leadership over female leadership. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's a really excellent point. And it brings to mind two things for me. One is um, internalized misogyny, which many women experience, and it takes a long time to really deconstruct that. And the other is this idea that women are basically pitted against each other um, by patriarchy and especially in the workplace, right? Because if we're saying that, you know, we're going to have one or two women on our board, 
well, of course, women are going to feel the need to compete with each other and not support each other because they're all going out for a very limited number of positions. And so it can feel like, you know, oh, well, they already have a woman on their board, so they're not going to be interested in anyone else, right? There's such a limited capacity there. And, you know, so many few women are being promoted to these very high level positions that it can feel like you naturally have to compete with other women for that selected spot that is given to women, right? Yeah, that kind of happens from a race perspective when you are the only. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talk about that a lot. When when you're the only person of color or you're the only LGBTQ or you're the only woman, it, it really does happen like that. And sometimes we refer to it from a woman's perspective. In the Black community, we talk about it. We say like crabs in a barrel. One crab is trying to get up the barrel and the others are pulling them down because they think that only one can make it. And then from a feminist perspective or a womanist perspective, we say it like this. We say cats in a sack. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we kind of feminize the, the, the way that we look at it. But it really is about how difficult it is for people to see women as leaders. And you would think that women would be more likely to see women as leaders. But that's not the case. Women still prefer men in leadership roles. And we see that. I mean, uh, the vice president is a black female. And I, I tell you, I don't know what is going on with this administration, but I've not seen publicly a whole lot coming from her. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to cast an image and don't want her to appear as the angry black woman after she took Jeff Sessions on that uh, that ride. I don't know if it's something like that or not, but I don't even well, see her. I don't even know what she's doing. And there's all those articles that come out about her being difficult and hard to work with. And, you know, again, who knows how true that is. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of that too comes from not only internalized misogyny, but also the patriarchy in the workplace, right? This idea that a leader has to look and act a certain way. And one of the articles that I found for today um, is called Too Sweet or Too Shrill, The Double Bind for Women. And this is from NPR. And basically the idea in this article is that women are trapped in this paradox because um, it's deeply embedded in our culture that women have to be kind, nice, compassionate because that's what women are. According to the female gender role, that is what women are. Good leaders, however, are expected to be tough, to take charge, to be assertive, to make tough decisions. And so if a woman is to embody those qualities, then she's shrill or she's difficult or she's hard to work with. So really there is no right way. And what this article puts forth is that if you are nice and if you are a woman in leadership and you're nice, then people will like you, but you won't be seen as an effective leader. If you are a woman in leadership and you embody some of those traditionally male leadership qualities, you might be seen as effective or competent, but you will be seen as unlikable. And so how are women supposed to behave when you can't be one or the other, right? And men are not forced into this same double standard. When you see a male in leadership, you're not, it's not in your brain to think, oh, well, this person needs to be nice. Or if this person's nice to me, that means he's not a good leader. Men are not put in that same paradoxical you know, position. And I just thought that was a really interesting point. And I think that goes back to, you know, why we have this view of who a leader is. It's because this is what's been shown to us. This is what's been told to us. This is the only way to be a leader. And one interesting um, study 
found, it was conducted by Madeline Heilman. She is a psychologist and a researcher at New York University, and she conducted a study about gender bias and leadership. And she found that, um, so what she put forth um, in this study was a description of a leader. And this leader was high powered, ambitious. And so she listed out all of these qualities. And in one document, she used he, him pronouns. And in the other document, she used she, her pronouns. And she gave these documents to people. And what she found was that um, when the person was described as a man, they were seen as you know perfectly adequate. But when they were described as a woman, they were seen as unlikable. And this was both men and women in this study that were saying this person is unlikable. Yeah, I think I may have read that same thing. And I think she referred to, I don't know if it was hers or not, but she talked about that double blindness. Mm-hmm. And and she used that to describe, you know, our because our minds are aligned with certain stereotypes, certain gender stereotypes specifically. And we see them only being characteristic and positive and affirming in one specific group. And, and that's a prime example of, you know, and I think there's another layer from an intersectional perspective that that same things happens with black women. Mm-hmm. A black woman and a white woman can be in a key leadership perspective and they can act the same, but because the determinant uh, factors are of, of leadership is based in white male hegemonic leadership, the white woman will, because they're used to it in their sexual relationships, this is a Bowersism for those of you who are listening, but because they're used to it in their sexual relationships, a, a white woman can get away with whatever it is, however she presents, and a black woman cannot. And the black woman would again go back to the stereotypical perspective of being seen as angry or volatile, or you don't know what she's gonna say, so you can't trust her. But the white woman, because you're used to looking and seeing white women, the white men are used to looking and seeing white women in a pleasant, affirming way, they will be able to, quote unquote, get away with more. And yeah. uh, I, I mean, that's a Bowersism, and it may have some truth to it and, and not, but it's my truth and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I definitely think there's truth in that. Absolutely. Um, another article that I read um, was, it was called Real Women Tell Us About Their Experience Working in Male-Dominated Fields. Um, this was by every girl. And the article itself didn't really have a lot to do particularly with uh, what we're talking about, about internalized misogyny or the niceness, you know, of women. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that came up was um, one of the women interviewed, her name was Caitlin and she's a pilot. And she talked about, you know, being in a male dominated field that she is far more scrutinized. And then if she makes a mistake, it's seen as, you know, the end of the world that she has to be the best of the best. She can't just be a good pilot. She has to be the best. And she said she feels like there's this constant kind of watching over her, the scrutiny of her, and that she needs to be on the top of at the top of her game, basically. And I think that's true of women in all fields. I feel like there is this um, this idea that women, you know, not only do we have to be incredibly competent, we have to, you know, not make mistakes, but also we have to look put together. We have to dress well. We have to, you know, be very well groomed, right? We have to conduct ourselves in a certain way. We have to be nice, but not too nice. We need to be competent, but not too competent, right? And there's this invisible sort of set of standards that we're supposed to meet. And oftentimes those standards contradict each other. But on top of that, it's like these same things are not put forward for men, right? 
if a man is a good leader, no one cares if he's nice. No one cares if he's attractive. No one cares if he, you know, dresses well or doesn't dress well. You know, those sorts of same things are not really put on to men. What do we do with gender diversity increasing in the workplace? I read one article where it was talking about the number of people and they were saying like, you know, over 50%, 50 to over 50% of women, they're women in the workforce. And you think that would translate into the same amount being leaders and it doesn't. It's way down to like 19% and under where you have women in key leadership positions. And so with gender diversity in the workplace, how is that going to pan out? I mean, are, are, I guess it pans out the same same way when we have one percent of the world's wealth belongs to the world's wealth belongs to one percent. I guess the leadership will remain the same. Is that it will remain primarily male, and uh, you know the whole misogynistic piece will be attached to it, and women won't. They'll just do rank and file, and then they'll do that pitting us against one another, so that the good woman versus the not so good woman, you know, and and then get us back to the onlys. That doesn't sound like a, a real good path, Carly, for us to be on. I don't know about you, but it sounds kind of sad if indeed that's the way, that's the direction that it's going to go. When you have, you know, uh, especially in the field of, uh, you know, academia, you have lots of women. I mean, we've known forever, even back in, in elementary school, 80% of the teachers are women and 80% of the teachers are white women. So we've seen this uh, come through our whole education system, but if that's the case, then how come the majority of principals are still male? And, and that translates, you know, from, from uh, all, I guess, all academia, it translates that way. So it doesn't change it at the collegiate level either. No, it doesn't. And I, I think there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of reasons why women are not being put in these key leadership roles. And a lot of that has to do with patriarchy and misogyny and all of that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think also it's the idea of the leadership model, right? That you have one person at the top and you have a group of people supporting that person and then a group of people supporting those people and it goes down like a triangle, right? And I think that structure only lends itself to certain, you know, people being in that top position, right? Especially in a world where the patriarchy is still very strong, misogyny is still a thing. You know, when you think of the person that, you know, when people think of who's a trustworthy person to put all of this power in, oftentimes they think of men. And you even see it in the way that people talk about presidents, right? People still, to this day in 2022, think that the president can only be a man. And so I don't know how to really move past that when that is still so ingrained in so many people. And I think there are definitely things that can be done. You know, I think dismantling that idea that you have to structure every single organization or company in that triangle model is one of them. Um, and obviously continuing to combat the patriarchy and misogyny where you find it. But one of the key things, and this is, was actually in that article I just read from, is women championing each other and not letting them pit us against each other and not, you know, letting, not falling into that competition, right? And really championing each other, supporting each other, being there for each other. You know, there should be a women, a women's collective in every single organization you know, to, to be a place for women to really champion and support each other and, you know, be able to talk about the things that they're experiencing. 
I agree. I was looking for an article, and I don't know if I'll be able to find it on this this show that we're on. But it was as you were talking, I was led. I was on another show, and and so um, I did a presentation about collaborative leadership. And I'll try to find that while we're talking. But one of the things that came from that whole thing is that the model for leadership that we've had, that we've been we've used for a whole long time, has its origin in the Judeo Christian belief. And in that Judeo-Christian belief, what we're saying and what we say over and over is the man is the head. And that somehow has been institutionalized in our way of thinking. And consequently, or as a result of that, if we don't do something about that, we will always be in this position because we won't be able to see it any differently. And it's the same way that people are oppressed. It's the narratives, if you will, the stories that we tell. We told the story that people of color, in particular Black people, were dumb and made them subservient and servile and all that. And we told that story and we said they had to have somebody to rule over them. So these are the narratives that have been woven into our socialization process that maintain these the status quo. And so, yeah, I'm with you, Carly. Even though I think collective leadership, collaborative leadership, women helping women, all of that is critical. I don't know how we get past the man is the head. And, and, and I think that's that we were socialized that way. And I, I bet you there's not a single person that we could talk to. Well, that's a generalization. Let me stop. But there would not be a whole bunch of people that we could talk to that, that has not had that drilled into them at some point. Or yeah. men are stronger yeah. or men are faster. You know, all of those things. And, and no matter how much we try to work around that, they are still the narratives that have been woven and they're, they're in our education system, they're, they're there. And then those people who present um, in a way that is Judeo-Christian, they really have it bad because that's the, the teaching. And then that's the things that's structured that's into our, like our uh, political system. You know, look how few senators we have that are women mm-hmm. and, and let alone black. But, you know, even Black people, I mean, we just see these in the structure. So I don't know, Carly, if it would ever be any different. But while, while you're responding or talking or sharing something with us, I'm going to look and see if I can find that real quick. And, you know, uh, I don't know if I can, but it's, it's troubling to me that it's possible that some of this has come from things that we hold to be true and even self-evident. Yeah, I think it definitely goes back to how we're socialized and the stories that are told. Because even, you know, even now, a lot of people will say, well, women don't make good leaders because they're too emotional. Um, And that, you know, asserts that somehow men are not emotional, which is we know is not true, um, or that women can't be unemotional. And if a woman is not an emotional person, um, she's seen as cold or frigid, right? And so again, it goes back to this, you know, you can't win in this sort of structure. And we talk, we've talked about in previous episodes how the patriarchy affects men as well, right? Men are judged very harshly when they show emotion. And so there has, that goes back to the stories we tell and the way we're socialized that men are not emotional, that they don't have the same emotional intensity that women do. And all of that we know is not true. Those come from traditional gender roles and the idea of how we're socialized as women and as men. But I think, you know, it goes back to this idea that nobody wins under this system, that it doesn't allow for people to be who they are. And especially women, you know, 
it's almost like if you are a woman who is very logical and very, um, you know, competent and, you know, doesn't really get very emotional, you're not going to be seen as likable or nice. And one of the other articles that I wanted to reference was um, women must be nice to gain influence at work. And this is by HuffPost. And basically the study that they're referencing said that, you know, women who were seen as nice and helpful were rated much higher by their supervisors than women who were not seen as nice and helpful. However, with men, it didn't matter if they were nice and helpful, they were still rated the same as their peers. Um, and so that's a really important, you know, distinction of like, women have to play this extra game at work that is not really, you know, it doesn't have to be played by men. Right, right. I, I really think that that we're in trouble. And, and I think it's going to take, it's the same way that we, and I know I make comparisons often regarding race, but all systems of oppression operate the same way. And so I think it's going to take, uh, you know, white males, quote unquote, to take the scales off of their eyes and to see that they may be leading from a place of privilege and leading in the same way that supports these oppressive systems. I, I didn't find who that article was, but I, I, I kind of remember what, it, what it, it said. I, did, I don't have the author of this. I'll find it before our next show. But it says that there is a system or a structure of traditional leadership. And this was some writer. It was a book, an old book from a long time ago. But I think it holds true. And I just want you to, to kind of hear this, Carly. It said, and this is pr primarily from a Judeo-Christian perspective, but it says most of us see it like this in a hierarchical order. We see God. We see men. We see women. We see children. We see animals. We see the earth. Mm -hmm. And we operate like that. And that's kind of the, the framework for traditional leadership. And of course, I will go one step further and say that race operates that same way. Mm -hmm. You know, all the things are built in hierarchical. And so if, if women are only, and that gets back to that separate sphere and women staying at home and taking care of the children, the animals, you know, all of those kinds of things, then we're, we're in trouble because if that's the way we see it and, and, and it's socialized, we're never going to be able to see it any other way. So, I mean, whether or not you're part of a Judeo-Christian structure or not, it's permeated into the socializing agents of the world. And so we see, and, and for most people, they even see God as male and they make pronoun references to he, him all the time. I mean, it's hardly ever do you find gender neutral language or do you find, you know, uh, the female personification of God? It just doesn't happen. So if that's the case, we're going to bump up against that every time we start to try to deconstruct some of these systems of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, until we can start universally socializing uh, the next generation differently, we are going to keep running up against this stuff. And I think it also requires a lot of people to deconstruct within themselves, to be very self-aware and self-critical and to really go into our own socialization and really start picking that apart. And that is not easy work. And I think that's something that a lot of people shy away from. They don't really um, want to analyze why they feel the way that they do or why they think the way that they do, because it is tough and it does require you to ask tough questions and look at, you know, the way that you were socialized and things like that. And people can feel that that requires you to be maybe too critical of the people who raised you or the religion that you're a part of or whatever the case may be. 
And it isn't to say that there aren't value in those things or that, you know, the people that socialized you were bad people because they made you think girls were nice. Like, that's not what we're saying. It's that it's much deeper than that and that there are repercussions of those things. And to, you know, really take time to examine that. And, And it is tough work and it's not easy, but it's critical if this is important to you to make a more equitable world. You have to be able to do that stuff. And it's a constant practice. Yeah, and I think we're going to be really honored over the next couple of weeks to have as our guest uh, some various people who have committed to come on our show and to share with you and to be a part of it. And I I guess we'll get to talk about some of those things, Carly, but I read this one study. It was a PhD study from ETSU, as a matter of fact, and they were, I forget what the name of it was, but they were talking about uh, leadership and especially in the education system and some of the barriers that they talked about, and I hope some of our guests will talk about this too, but they talked about stereotypes and and uh, uh, as one of the the barriers that that is for leadership, and then implicit bias. They talked about it as being one, and then the work life balance. These are some of the things that you and I have talked about over the course of our our being on the show. Career and family planning. All of these are the kinds of things. Uh, maternal gatekeeping. I mean, it was a really good dissertation, or at least I thought it was, because it 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 set us. I think I shared it with you, but we can look at it a little bit more. But I, I like the fact that it was regional, that it was right here in our own back door with uh, with uh, someone from ETSU doing their dissertation in educational leadership. But they talked about those all being barriers. So anyway, I know we've got to get ready to go. And Carly, you're going to share with us uh, some of the people that you can look forward to hearing. We hope our listening audience will stay tuned and, and uh, we'll give you our email address if you want to ask some questions of our uh, guest. You can send those to us and we can have them and, and the questions could cross over to all of the guests if, if so. And you can send that to S Bowers, that's S-B-O-W-E-R-S at E-H-C dot E-D-U or. Yeah, or you can send those questions to me, um, C Blaylock, B-L-A-Y-L-O-C-K at E-H-C dot E-D-U. We'd love to have your questions. Um, Some of the guests that we are so excited to have with us over the next few weeks are um, Dr. Kristen Krauss. She is from our political science department. She is um, a co-chair of that department. We are uh, gonna have Kelly, Dr. Kelly Brimner back with us. She is the chair of the theater department. We are also planning on having with us Dr. Tracy Wright. She is our Dean of Students here at Emory and Henry. And um, Dr. Lauren Harding, she is she works with me. She is also a student success coach, and I'm really excited to have her on. She's also a musician, a very talented musician, and she's going to talk a little bit about her experiences as a woman in music, um, which is really great. And we also have um, Sam Lopez with us as well. She is um, the director of housing at Emory and Henry, so she's going to be on. So these are just a few over the next few weeks. We have more lined up after that, kind of leading us into Women's History Month. But those will be the guests that you will be hearing from first. And we've just kind of had the the general theme of women in leadership, but we're also going to set aside time to just talk to these women um, about things that are important to them um, as women, as feminists, and, you know, really kind of dive into subjects that are important to them as well. Yeah, and we're excited. Several of them are part of the collaborative. We have a collaborative here at Emory & Henry, 
and some of them are a part of that. All of them are not, and we've had some past guests, and so we're all doing this leading up to Women's History Month, where hopefully you'll be able to have a bunch of those experts in the room at the same time, and that's going to be grand. I'm anticipating it. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. So thanks so much, Carly, for being with us here today and for sharing and for listening, audience. We look forward to our next time together. Um, Who do we have next week, Carly? Do you know? So our first guest um, will be Dr. Kristen Krause. She is our first guest. You better get ready because this is an amazing woman, as all of them are, but she's going to take us to task. So, Carly, we better be on our P's and Q's. We better do a little research before (laughs) Dr. Krause comes. (laughs) We better make sure that we have our thinking caps on, that's for sure. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you all so much, and we'll look forward to hearing you next week. Pass on the victory, we share.